Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. All right, today I want to continue the study that we have been in, uh, we've been calling disillusionment. What do we do when we doubt? What do we do when we doubt? And we know that all of us, when it comes to faith, we have uh, had or experienced doubts, right? Is there anybody in here? Uh, you would say, I, I believe in Jesus and I have never experienced a doubt in my faith whatsoever. All right, it, it, you are Superman. Good, God bless you. Because even I have struggled with doubt in my faith. We're going to talk about why and what that is. Now, last week, we kind of unpacked a little bit about the anatomy of doubt. And we said that, that looking at John the Baptist, that oftentimes doubts about our faith can come in when we face unfair circumstances. Circumstances we appear that we, we perceive to be unfair. Why did this happen? I don't understand why this is happening, why God allowed that, what's going on. Unmet expectations. Sometimes we go in and we have certain expectations. We think, if I give my life to Jesus, this is what God is going to do for me, and this is what should happen, and I was told this, and then that didn't happen, and all of a sudden I became a little disillusioned in my faith when the expectations didn't match the experience. And then thirdly, sometimes we have doubts simply because in whatever we're going through, however we're perceiving situations, our perception is limited. How many of you know, how many of you would, you would acknowledge, you would own, my perception is limited. I don't always see things as they really are. Okay, good. Some of you are willing to admit it. Others of you are falling asleep already. God bless you. This is going to be a long time this morning. All right. <laughs> but I believe that doubt is something that every follower of Jesus at one point or another has struggled with or struggles with from time to time. Uh, in fact, I, I don't know that, that really you can really say that you're a believer or a Christian if you've not uh, struggled with doubt. And some of you might have raised your hands. I don't struggle with doubt. But I think that, that faith oftentimes requires a little bit of doubt to be faith. One author stated this, if you ever arrive at a place where your doubts are gone, you'll know that you're in heaven. Then you know, right? Because there's no reason to have her wonder, is this really true? Do I really believe this? Is this something I should? In fact, I think it's one of the hidden secrets in the church. We tell each other, you, you shouldn't do that because then people are going to say, you have little faith. You have to believe, right? And so we keep, that, we keep those doubts, we keep those things hidden. But doubt's not sinful uh, in any way. It often can be a catalyst, though, for spiritual growth. In fact, that's what I oftentimes find. And in preparation for this study, as I was thinking about disillusionment and doubt and all of this, and, uh, and just kind of working through this, I've concluded that doubts tend to fall in three different categories. I think the first category are intellectual doubts. Intellectual doubts. What do I mean by intellectual doubts? Well, what I mean is this. These are doubts that are oftentimes raised outside of Christianity, and they kind of question things like, did God really create the heavens and the earth, or, or, or is that just something that we make up? 
I mean, is there really a creator? Did God really create the heavens and the earth? What about that thing called the Bible? I mean, can that really be true? Is that, is that really the inspired word of God? Wasn't that just a bunch of people that, that wrote down a bunch of, is that really the inspired word of God? I think there, there are some things about Jesus, like is Jesus the son of God? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? What kind of, what proof do you have for that? Those I would say are intellectual. They would fall in the category of intellectual doubts, then I think there are spiritual doubts. Those are things that kind of come maybe within the church or among believers or Christians. And, and these are questions that kind of surface that sometimes maybe you responded to an altar call and, and you, you felt in the moment and you, you said, Jesus, you said that prayer, Jesus, I, I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And, and then you, you kind of go along, you begin to question, am I really a Christian? Did, did I really, am, am I really a follower of Jesus? If I die, Will I really go to heaven? Did, 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 I, did I really make that? Or maybe it's in prayer. Did I, you know, I pray, but are my prayers really being answered? Does prayer really work? Does it really do anything? These are spiritual doubts. Anybody ever struggled with some of these? Or why do I still feel guilty? I mean, if I'm saved and my sins are forgiven, why do I still struggle with guilt? Right? I mean, these are spiritual doubts. These are things that, that creep in, and they're, they're normal. They're natural. And I think third is circumstantial doubts. We talked a little bit about this last week. It's probably the largest category. And it encompasses the, the whys of life, right? Why did this happen to me? Why did God allow this? If God is a good God, then, then why did he allow my child to die? Or my husband to die? Or why did I have to go through that ugly divorce? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't understand. Why did I, why did I have to go through that? Or, or perhaps, you know, why, if, if I've been praying for a spouse, why am I still single? You know, and th those, are, those are very real, real things. Or, or why did my friend betray me? Or where was God when I was being abused? These are the whys. These are, these are circumstantial doubts, and, and they are doubts that can creep in. And I think that this is where the intersection of uh, pain comes in, and there's an intersection between biblical faith and the painful experiences that come from living in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And because of that, the, the, there are circumstances, there are things that are painful, there are things that happen that, that I would say are neither the, the, the cause or the will. God didn't will it, God didn't do it, God didn't make it happen. But at the same time, we live in a fallen world where God allows those things to happen. And when those things happen to us, whether we are a believer or whether we are someone who is not a believer, we can begin to wrestle with doubts about God and wrestle with doubts about faith. In fact, as we approach this topic today, there are several things that I want us to understand up front. So let me just kind of lay a little bit of a foundation. Many people think that doubt is the opposite of faith. And as we talked about last week and pointed out, doubt is not the absence of uh, the, the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Unbelief refers to a refusal, an outright refusal to believe. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not going to believe. I don't believe that. Whereas doubt is more, of, uh, refers to more of uncertainty, kind of an un uncertainty. 
Many people think that doubt is unforgivable. That's just simply not true. God doesn't condemn us when we question him. We saw that last week with John the Baptist. He had some doubt, some questions based on his circumstances. If you weren't here, go back and, and, and listen to that message on the anatomy of doubt. It would really help uh, unpack some of that for you. But God doesn't, doubt is not unforgivable. God understands our doubts. We see people like Job, who was in the midst of suffering, who oftentimes ask a lot of questions. And, and, and that was okay. God can handle those questions. You see David, throughout the Psalms, you'll oftentimes find David, who was a man, talked talk about a man after God's own heart, who had faith, but yet at times began to struggle and had questions like, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to allow this to happen? Where are you? My enemies are doing this, and they're, they're saying this, and they're, God, where are you? Maybe you've struggled like that as well. The problem is, if we never struggle, then we never grow. If you never struggle in your faith, if you never have a moment where your faith is tested, or where you struggle with doubt, you never truly push past and have the ability to grow. I, I kind of think doubt is a little bit like immunization for our faith. When you get an immunization, say, say smallpox, you get a smallpox immunization, what happens is, is they, they introduce a little bit of, of smallpox into your bloodstream, into your body, that then activates antibodies that begin to fight that and strengthen so that later on, if you come in contact with that disease, your body already has the strength to be able to fight it off. That's what happens with doubt in our faith. A little bit of doubt begins to be introduced into our faith that causes us, if we will, to press into Jesus in those doubts. And those doubts act as an antibody that activates and engages us to press in a little bit deeper, a little bit more into who God is so that later on when bigger challenges come, when bigger things happen, we have the strength and the ability to be able to fight that off. Come on, that's good stuff. In fact, the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. The strongest faith is a faith that grows through our doubts, that grows through your doubts. So following last week's message, I had several conversations with with folks and just really identifying with this idea of doubt and they began to to share with me and raise with raise to me a, a story and, and it's a story about a parent who has a child that has been afflicted over and over again in fact it, it talks about a spiritual affliction that that really has some physical uh, physical things to it and and this parent is really struggling in their faith, and they, they bring their child to Jesus. He's not around. They encounter his disciples first because they, they want their child delivered, and, and, and it didn't happen when they, brought it to the, when they brought him to the disciples, and then when Jesus shows up, something, something amazing happens. It's found in Mark chapter 9, so turn with me in God's Word to Mark chapter 9. If you got a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to open it up. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9. And uh, while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a, a, a breakdown of what's happening. At the beginning of Mark chapter 9, Mark 9, 2 tells us that Jesus went up on the mountain. And with him, he took three of his disciples with him. He, he took Peter with him and, and John with him. And, and I believe it was James. I can't remember exactly. I should know that. But he, they went up on a mountain. 
and there, while they were up on the mountain, Jesus was transfigured before them. It means just all of a sudden he was seen in, 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 in godliness. His, his clothing turned white. He was seen. And Moses and Elijah show up. And man, I'm telling you, it is a spiritual moment. God's voice begins to speak. This is my son. Trust him. Do what he says. It's an awesome encounter, right? While they're up on the mountain, there is something else happening down. And so as they come down, Jesus and, and them begin to see a crowd that has formed, and he's overhearing his disciples who were, who were left behind and, and still down on the mountain. He's hearing them argue, and they're arguing with some of the scribes, some of the religious leaders in the scribes. So there's an argument going on, and Jesus asked the question, hey, what are y'all arguing about? And this is in verse 17. This is what it says, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able to, all right? If, if, you, if you're following along with me, and, and, and that last little line, they were not able to. Hang on to that for a moment, okay? Just, just, just put a pin in that. Hang on to that for a moment. Because what we have here is a distraught parent. How many have ever been distraught as a parent before? It's a distraught parent. And later we discover it's a father who has a son who's been possessed by an evil spirit, it says, from childhood. And, and for years, the spirit has caused harm to this child. Throw him down. And, 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 and you might see seizures in this. And, and in their primitive, primitive medical science of the day, they didn't necessarily have an antidote or an answer for this. And, and there, was, there was something spiritual that was happening. Became rigid, foaming in the mouth. Would often try to kill him by throwing him into the fire or throwing him into, into some kind of water. And when the man brought his son to Jesus, disciples it says that he he brought it brought them to him to deliver him but they were not able to so what happens next what happens next verse 20 and they brought the boy to him Jesus says bring the boy to me they brought the boy to him and when the spirit saw him immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth and Jesus asked his father how long has this been happening to him and this is where we get the context he said from childhood <clears throat> it's awesome, often cast him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. And then it says this, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. This, this is the conversations that were happening last week with a few folks who came up in the anatomy of doubt. And they said, well, what about that, what about that father that came up? I, you know, he was wrestling with some disillusionment, wasn't he? And, and, and he cried out, I believe, but, but help my unbelief. This is a prayer, right? This is a, a plea of a, a desperate father, a desperate parent who's interceding on behalf of a child who's been afflicted, a child that he loves and, and he expresses in five simple words a profound, difficult, confusing, common experience, a disillusionment, a disillusionment. 
And he's clearly expressing that. Every parent understands these words, right? Who has not looked at their child who is sick, who is not feeling good, particularly if the diagnosis is something very severe and you've watched your child suffer and your heart goes out. And as a parent, what do you want to do in those moments? Fix it. I just want to fix it. Why is this happening? Make this stop. In fact, if you're a parent in that moment and you love your children, chances are you are saying, why is that happening to them? I would rather it happen to me. I could handle that a whole lot better than, if that, than, than that happening to them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? As a parent, that's the way you feel, but you feel helpless. If you've never been in that moment where your child is suffering or you're seeing your child in some kind of a position and you can't help, you are doing everything you can, but you are just in a position where you are desperate, this is the position. And so maybe in those moments you begin to question the goodness of God. You begin to to question God's presence and you wonder, God, have you abandoned us in this? And oftentimes, if the suffering is not relieved very soon, you might find yourself angry and you turn from God altogether. I think at, at, at one time or another, how many of you who have, who, 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 who have ever cried out in some form or fashion, I believe, but help my unbelief? I have. I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe you didn't say it that way. Maybe you said, Lord, I believe, but my heart is just filled with doubt. I'm struggling or... Or, Lord, I know you can, but I'm not sure you will. Or, Lord, this situation seems hopeless. Help me to trust you. I believe. Oh, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. The truth is, is oftentimes within the believer is both faith and doubt. Or faith and a little bit of unbelief. I, I think there's a, there's a paradox that happens in the life of the believer And I think we see this paradox in other places in Scripture. For instance, last week, I talked a little bit about this paradox with with, with Peter, right? He is in with the disciples. They're out on the boat. Jesus comes walking in the, at night onto the water. Peter says, uh, if it's you, Lord, tell me to step out. And Jesus says, well, come on out on the water. And he steps out and he begins to walk on the water. That's faith. And yet in the midst of that faith... He begins to take his eyes off of Jesus. He begins to see the wind and the waves. He begins to sink, right? All of a sudden, faith becomes unbelief or doubt. He begins to struggle a little bit. He begins to sink, and he cries out, Jesus, have mercy on me, right? Oh, help, Lord, I'm sinking. And Jesus lifts him up, immediately reached out his hand. This is Mark, Matthew 14, 31. Got to hold him saying, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Faith and doubt. Faith and doubt. Faith and doubt. How about Thomas? We talked about him on Easter Sunday, right? He's a disciple of Jesus. He had believed in Jesus, but here he was after the resurrection. Everybody's telling him, we've heard the Lord. We've heard the Lord. Some of them say, he already appeared to us. He says, unless, right, unless I see him, and I put my fingers in his hands, in the scars on his hands, I put my fists in his hands. I will not believe, right? I will not believe unless I see those physical wounds. And yet, and yet, and yet, somehow there was enough faith to hang out with the disciples to see if Jesus would show up again. He had enough faith to stay there until Jesus showed up again. There's a, there's, there's, there, there is, there's this in part of us that says, I don't know if I can believe that. I don't know if I want to trust again. I don't know if I can 
do that, and yet at the same time, enough faith to, to, to hang in there and stay in there. And the Psalms talked about it. Psalm 73 it begins with the psalmist just expressing, like, wrestling with, 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 with doubt. Like, what are you doing? Where are you? What's that? And then by the end, you start to see an expression of, of faith by the end. And I think that's what we see. And I think, I think we identify with this. I think the reason the conversations happened last week, we talked about this idea of doubt. Many people who knew this story were talking about this story because we identify with it. We can identify with the desperateness of this father who truly wants to believe and yet there's a part of him that is wrestling and struggling with doubt. Right? Who can blame this father? You take pity on us. Have compassion on us. Help us. And that little word, if... Kind of hangs in the air. If, 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 if you ever wrestle with if, if, right? It, it, it's the both faith and doubt. It's, it's a tortured soul. It's, it, it's not understanding the why. It's just imagine the experience, the number of years, likely him doing everything he could to protect his son. Isn't that what fathers do? He wanted to help his son who had this terrible, this, this terrible affliction that has a demonic source, this tormented boy early in his childhood. And, and how many times, how many times that he and his wife had to save their child from harm and danger? How many times has, has the seizure started, has the demonic activity started, and the seizure started, they even say, it threw him into the, into the water, it threw him into the fire, and, 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 and tried to kill him while the boy was still alive. Who saved him? Chances are his parents, every moment, were watching and waiting to pull him out to save him so that he didn't find harm. What if they weren't around in the moment when it seized him? What if they weren't there to save him? What if in the middle of the night something happened, and they had falling asleep and they weren't there imagine a number of sleepless nights the tortured soul how much money had they spent on people who said they could do it and yet couldn't how much income was lost because they didn't they didn't go to work because they were too busy trying to stay home to protect their child their their only son and what about the guilt did we do something Maybe we sinned, or maybe there was something wrong with us. Maybe there was something biologically that was wrong. Maybe one of us caused this to happen in some way, or, or maybe if it wasn't their own sin or guilt that they were, were wrestling with, maybe they were just wrestling with the shame of others who in that day and age, when you had something like this, like in John 9 with the blind man, blind from birth, is it his sin or his parents' sin? What about the shame of what others might have thought about this father's situation? No wonder there's disillusionment. No, no wonder there is doubt. And what about the strain this put on their marriage? You know as well as I do that when there are certain trauma situations or stressors, things that may be with your kids or may be within your family, it can put a strain on your marriage relationship. All of these things compounded, 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 and no wonder when he sought help, he'd, he'd always felt a little bit of disappointment. Who could blame him for doubting? And yet, Jesus' response to him, Lord, I believe, actually the response before that, if you can, Jesus says, if I can, if you, if, if you can, everything is possible to him who believes. Think about that for a moment. Think about Jesus' response for a moment. 
everything is possible for him who believes. Where does the, where does the, where does the weight, where does the burden for the answer that this man is looking for now for his son fall? Everything is possible for him who believes. Where does it fall? It falls on this, this father, right? The healing this father truly desires now hangs on his ability to believe. Will he believe? Can he even believe? And from his heart comes the truth. Lord, I believe, but i got to be honest with you. Help my unbelief. Right? That's an honest plea, isn't it? That's an honest plea. You see, doubt is a common temptation among men. It's common temptation. It's a subtle temptation. And it can be a very spiritually dangerous one if we are not careful. If we're not careful, it can lead us to fall away from the living God. I mean, in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, listen to the warning. Take care, brothers. Okay, why is it using the term brothers? Because it's talking about believers. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Can I encourage you today? Yes, doubt is something that comes in the life of every believer, but it's not something that ought to be left alone or left there or just just left. It's got to be something that is fought against and challenged because doubt can lead to unbelief and unbelief can lead to falling away. We each fight a unique battle against this. We have a unique vulnerability to this that, that forms the reasons why we struggle in certain areas with doubt. And getting help to see those vulnerabilities of doubt and unbelief is critical if we're going to have victory in the battle. And, and it's something that Jesus can help us with. So that's what we're going to see. What we're going to see in Jesus' response in just a few moments, what we're going to see in this passage, we're going to look at the roots of unbelief, particularly in this man. What was the root of unbelief in his life? We're going to look at a rebuke for unbelief. You say, well, pastor, a rebuke, that sounds terrible. There, there's mercy there. Just, just hang with me. I'm going to walk you through it. A root, and then we're going to look at the results that happen, the results that happen from the confession that this man makes. Look at this. Mark chapter 9, 21 and 22. Let's look at the root of unbelief. What caused this father to struggle with doubt? Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It's often cast him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The father is struggling. How many times has he prayed and not seen any any, any verbal, any visible response? How many, how many times has he sought out other spiritual leaders or exorcists and to cast the de devil out but to no avail? And then hearing stories uh, from Jesus who had healed sickness and disease and who had cast out demons, and all of a sudden there's a, there's a spark. There's something that begins to stir a little bit of faith within this father. And so what does he do? He says, I've got to find this famous rabbi. And so he goes to find this famous rabbi and, and, uh, and, and plead with them to deliver his child. But, but, but Jesus isn't there. Jesus isn't there, so he finds his disciples and he says to them, this is the situation, can you cast him out? And, and what did we read earlier? I told you to hang on to it. They were what? They were unable to. They were not able to. 
in that moment. They were not able to. And we understand this. We, we, we see that they were not able. So now, now Jesus comes down. He says, what are y'all arguing about? And in the midst of the argument, Jesus says, bring the boy to me. He begins to ask the father questions. And now the father says, well, if you can, if you can, if you can, all of a sudden you could see his faith has been fading. What stirred up? As a possibility, the disciples were not able to. Now he's questioning Jesus' ability to. He's questioning Jesus' ability to. If you can do anything, ha have compassion on us. And if we're honest, that's one of the challenges to faith comes when there is disappointment. When we've been disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed before? Yeah, when you prayed and your prayers are not answered at least not in the way you expected, when, when, when you want to believe, but you're struggling to believe, and you've been disappointed, out of a root of disappointment can come a root of doubt and unbelief. The more times we're let down, the harder it is to believe, and the longer we must persist without seeing results, the harder it is to believe that Jesus can help our situation or help our circumstances. And for this struggling father, his doubt was rooted in disappointment and despair. Now, there's a rebuke for unbelief. Now, again, hang with me for a moment because I'm going to show you something. We might expect Jesus to be a kinder, gentler Jesus, right? A kinder, gentler Jesus, right? I mean, why can't he do what he did for the leper earlier on in, in, in Mark chapter 1? There was a leper who Jesus had pity on, and he reached out, and he touched him, and had compassion, and he was clean of his leprosy but Jesus responds to this father catches us off guard if you can all things are possible for the one who believes it seems like he is putting all of the weight back onto him that doesn't seem like compassion or mercy at all it kind of shocks us at least it did me and I think the reason for that is because we might not necessarily identify as much with the leper but we can identify with this father we can identify with his doubts we expect Jesus to comfort him and instead he receives a bit of a, a rebuke and it makes us wonder is this how Jesus feels about us when we doubt or struggle with unbelief and one way to answer that is to look in the gospels because Jesus consistently affirms those who express faith and he does rebuke those who experience doubt and unbelief why well let's look at the leper again let's go back to that Mark chapter 1 and verse 40 when the leper approached Jesus this is what it says a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees here's the word if again if but look at what it says if you are willing you can make me clean if you are willing now there's a declaration of faith but it's a declaration of faith that questions the willingness is this your will the willingness of God not the ability of God the willingness of Jesus not the ability of Jesus if you are willing, you can make me clean. And this approach moved Jesus to compassion and a response of healing. But the father of the afflicted boy said, if you can do anything. And it comes on the heels of, I went to your disciples and they could not do anything. 
His faith was fading and he transferred what the disciples were unable to do onto Jesus and questioned if Jesus had the ability to be able to set his son free and heal him. There's a part of this unbelief that he maybe had or this part of unbelief that was rooted in, I don't know if Jesus has the ability to do this. And he receives a rebuke. Similar Peter received a rebuke, right? We talked about it, walking on the water. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, you know, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's a little bit of rebuke in that. Why did you doubt? You were doing just fine. You were walking on the I told you. Why did you stop trusting me? Why did you stop trusting me? Or with Thomas, Jesus appears to him and, and he says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, right? That's what we'll do, right? My Lord and my God. And then Jesus continues, because you've seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Why the rebukes? Why, why these rebukes? Well, we must remember that Jesus' rebuke to a believer is allowing doubt and unbelief to infect and weaken their faith and govern their behavior. And when he rebukes them, that's mercy. That's mercy. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to do what? What does Hebrews eleven six 6 says? Please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because faith is the channel through which God's grace begins to flow. His grace is of salvation. And we are saved not by works. What are we saved? Through faith, by grace. We are saved through faith. Faith activates and it allows there to be a channel of grace. The same thing with sanctification. It is grace. The same thing with God's gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The moving of the Holy Spirit. The miracles of the Holy Spirit. The, the strongholds that are breaking. It takes what? It takes faith. It takes faith. It does take faith. Friends, faith is important and unbelief is is an obstruction to the channel of God's grace and the activation of God's power I'm preaching good <laughs> I'm just trying to encourage you this is a tough subject all right this is a tough subject. This is tough. This is tough. This is tough. But I, but I want you to get it. There's a rebuke here because of love. Jesus rebukes those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. I'm going to talk about it in a few moments. This is mercy. What he's doing is he's challenging this father in the roots of his doubt. And a good father, a good God does that. Jesus challenges us in the area of our doubts. I'm saying every believer doubts, all right? Every believer struggles. But listen, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't going to challenge you in your doubts because he wants you to grow in your faith. He doesn't, he doesn't want what James talks about. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously and without finding reproach and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So when we 
are tossed to and fro. Remember, what, 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 what did this passage of Scripture come on the heels of? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your what? Oh, there's that word again. The testing of your faith has a purpose to it. It develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you must be complete, mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's, God's purpose is to make you mature. God's purpose is to make you complete. God's purpose is to teach you how to persevere in the testings and the doubts of your faith. And you get to that point and you go, I don't understand. And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you don't understand. Ask God. He gives generously. He's going to do that. Ask without doubting. Why? Because the moment you start doubting, you're like, I trust you, God. I don't trust you, God. I trust you, God. No, I'm going to try this. I, okay, God, you said I do. Oh, I'm going to start doing this. I'm gonna, and you're back and forth and you're back and forth and you're back and forth. And what does that do? It makes you unstable in all of your ways. You're double-minded and, 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 and. And look what it says. That person must not suppose they will receive anything from the Lord. So the very answer that you want to receive is locked up. It doesn't, you don't get, you don't, you, you don't get from God what he wants to give you. And the father here was struggling. Man, Lord, I believe it. Help my, if you can. Listen, if you, if you can, let me challenge that. If you can, listen, listen. Nothing is impossible. Anything is possible for those who believe. If you can't, let me challenge that. I want to challenge that. I want to challenge you in that. You see, that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is Jesus invites you and then he challenges you. If you're never challenged in your faith, you have weak faith. You, you have weak faith. There are times where you're going to be challenged in your faith. There are times where you're going to be tested in your faith. This was a test of this man's faith. He had come and the disciples couldn't do it. And now he was taking what the disciples couldn't do. And he was putting that on Jesus. And some of us do that. We take what man cannot do, what the doctors cannot do, what the pills cannot do, what this cannot do, what that cannot do, and then we want to ascribe that and say, Jesus, if you can. And Jesus says, if I can, anything is possible for those who believe. Let me challenge you in your faith. Let me challenge you in what you believe. The temptation is not to trust God's wisdom and God's power or God's ability to pull us through. It's too easy for us to struggle with doubt and unbelief and let it creep in and, and, and allow the, the problems and the difficulties that we face to overwhelm us. Although Jesus' rebuke seemed like it was not very, like that's not very loving. It was actually merciful. It was momentary discipline intended to expose the disease of unbelief so that the believer can see it for what it is. You see, the danger is that the root of doubt and unbelief, if not addressed, will weaken other areas of our faith, will rob us of joy and peace and the fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12, 10, and 11, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. 
But he, meaning God, Jesus, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, 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 the rebuke, the discipline, yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Listen, Jesus is a good physician, and he's not about to coddle your doubts. Just like a a good doctor who, when you're diagnosed with cancer, isn't going to coddle your cancer and let it lie in your system so that it can continue to do damage and harm. Jesus is not going to let the doubts and the unbelief go unchallenged in your life. What were the results? What's the results of the merciful rebuke? We see them in the Father's desperate cry. I believe, help my unbelief. He cries out to Jesus, doubt and faith. Doubt And faith. And similar to when Peter cried out as he was sinking, and Jesus grabbed him by the hand and lifted up, similar to Thomas who was doubting, and Jesus showed up on the scene and said, Touch my hands and my side. What do we see here? We see that Jesus honored this father's faith, however defective it was, and set the boy free. Jesus met this father in what little faith he had. Listen, That's the love of Jesus. He'll challenge your doubts, but he'll meet you with the little faith that you have. Even faith as small as a mustard seed. Jesus will meet you where you are at with what faith you have. But understand, he will challenge your doubts. And this is what it says in Mark 9, 25 to 27. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus met this father. Yeah. Jesus met this father where he was at. He met the desperate cry. And although there was some doubt and there was some unbelief, this father cried out to Jesus. And Jesus met him where he was. Friends, let me tell you something. In the midst of your doubt, uh, Jesus wants to challenge you so that you will grow in those areas of your faith. So you'll grow in those areas. But you give the little bit of faith that you have to Jesus and watch what he'll do. Watch what he'll do. He helped the father grow through his doubt. See, faith isn't the absence of doubt. The absence of doubt. Faith is the means to push through it. It's not the absence. It's the means to push through it. Worship team, will you come? It's not the absence of doubt. It's the means to push through it. It's the means to push through it. It's the means to do it. Why do we struggle with doubt? We struggle with doubt because of indwelt sin. Hebrews 3.13 encourages this. Because of this indwelt sin, because we live in a sinful and a fallen world, because that is present, because those things are around us, we can struggle sometimes with doubt and unbelief. And Hebrews 3.13 says this to the church. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceit. And Paul exhorted Timothy, you've got to fight. You've got to fight for faith. You've got to fight for faith. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. 
fight the good fight of faith. You've got to fight for faith. We struggle with doubt. You've got to fight for faith. Faith does not come natural. You've got to fight for faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life for which you were called, to which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That confession was by faith, and you've got to fight to hold on to that faith. You've got to fight to hold on to that confession. You've got to fight to hold on to what you believe and know and see in Scripture that God can do, what he's done before and what he can do again. You've got to fight for that because everything in this world wants to strip you of your faith and wants to cause you to doubt the goodness and the power of God, but you've got to fight for it it you've got to fight for it Jesus answered the prayer I believe but help my unbelief by 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 exposing that rebuking that and exposing that because it was blocking the channel of God's activity and answer to the desperate plea of this father a lack of faith was blocking the answer. And Jesus says, I challenge that. I challenge, if you can. Anything is possible for him who believes. Stop. I want to challenge that area of your doubt. I'm just going to, three quick things. Steps you can take to grow in your faith. Three quick steps that we see in this father. I believe, but help my unbelief. Number one, he admitted his need. He admitted his need. There's unbelief. Secondly, he admitted it to the right person, Jesus. You can, you can admit it to your, anybody else you want all day long. You got to admit it to Jesus. That's what David did in the Psalms. He admitted it to Jesus. He took it to God. These are my doubts. And thirdly, he asked for the help he needed. He asked for the help he needed. So some of you are wrestling. Some of you are struggling with doubt. Some of you are wrestling in your faith. You're struggling with doubt. You're struggling with those things. And so let me encourage you today. Don't conceal it. Don't hide it. Don't pretend it's not there for the sake of wanting to look around and not wanting to appear like you're struggling somewhere in your faith because somebody might judge me in here. This is between you and Jesus. This is between you and Jesus. All right? Admit it. Jesus, I, I, I believe there's faith, but man, I've got some doubts too. I'm wrestling with some doubts. I admit it to you. I, I come to you. I admit it to you, and I ask you for your help, and I ask for your help, and I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever you're at, no matter how long or how short you've been serving the Lord, or maybe you're not serving the Lord at all. If, you, if you've not given your faith to Jesus, maybe you've been wrestling with unbelief, but you've come in, and you just, man, there's just something pricking your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, you know what, I just want to invite you to take that step of faith, get out of the boat, get out of the water, put your eyes and say, Jesus, I trust you. And maybe for the first time, there's somebody in here or somebody watching online that maybe for the first time you want to activate faith by putting it in Jesus Christ and his salvation. And if that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity and we're going to pray. But there are others in you, you've done that, but you're wrestling with some doubt, whatever it is, however short or long you have, and you're wrestling Today's the day. Let's just begin to bring those things to Jesus. And let's let Jesus stir in us a faith that unblocks, that unblocks what's blocking the miracles and the answers. That unblocks, unblocks what, what God wants to do that we might grow in our faith. Let's bow our heads. Here, here it is. I want to go back. Those of you that maybe you're just feeling that. Maybe, maybe something's pricking your heart. You're just, you're just feeling it. Something you don't even know how to explain it. But you just say, man, I just feel compelled 
I feel compelled that I need to put my faith in Jesus today. I, I need his forgiveness for my sin. And, and today I just need to put my faith, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus and put my faith in him. If that's you, will you slip up your hand this morning? I want to begin a relationship, yeah, with Jesus. I just put my faith in him. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to pray with those right now that raise their hands. Just pray with me right now. Let's just make a confession of faith right now in Jesus. Dear Jesus, I thank you today that you love me and you gave your life for me. Today I put my faith in you. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me of unrighteousness, to come and live in me. I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now let's stand. And right now, if you've been struggling, maybe you're struggling with that doubt. Maybe you're struggling in those areas. I want to pray for you, and then the worship team's going to lead, and I'm going to open the altar. Maybe you need just someone to come alongside and, in your faith and pray for you. Maybe you're needing a healing in your life or a relationship or whatever it is. Jesus, right now, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Lord, I just pray for those that have been wrestling. They, they're believers, but they've been wrestling with areas of doubt. I just pray you'd stir faith in them. I just pray that you would move. You'd begin to stir some faith in their lives and their heart. That, God, you just begin to work inside of them. That they would, they would begin to be able to press in. That you'd grow them through this. That the faith would be to grow through the doubt. We fight, Lord. We encourage one another. And we fight for faith right now in Jesus' name. For those that are discouraged. For those that are just questioning right now in the name of Jesus. I just pray you're encouraged to them in Jesus name we thank you in Jesus name amen if you need prayer for anything at all will you come and just let us pray for you if you want to spend some time with Jesus I encourage you to come come on let's pray thank you for listening to today's podcast we pray that you're encouraged by this message for more information about Painesville Assembly of God visit PainesvilleAG.com